and welcome to Board Game Famous, the board game podcast that chronicles two brothers and some friends on their way to board game fame. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined as always with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. And Jesse. Hey, y'all. I don't have any fun banter. Did anybody have fun banter? This is, this is just podcast business as usual. I was just thinking how I almost forget, how, how every time we start, I almost forget how to say, like, hey, y'all, and I almost say, like, <laughs> Michael's howdy, howdy. <laughs> I know that would just confuse people, though. I I was uh, I just got back from vacation, being out west, and there was a lot of western wear stores. I almost bought a cowboy hat. I don't actually own a cowboy hat, and I always say howdy howdy. It would have been just too good. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, before you ask your question, reminder: Jesse and I will be at Tantrum Con. February 24th, 25th, 26th, Charlotte, North Carolina. If you want to say hello, we'll be there. Yeah, you could come meet real life people in in life, in real life. I feel that sentence got away from me. (laughs) (laughs) We do exist. (laughs) Michael, have you been doing some like bicep curls and getting ready to flip a table? Uh, I should. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, at Friday at 5 o'clock, both Jesse and I will be flipping a table at Tantrum Con. Let's go. Hopefully we can get someone to record it, and we'll post it for you guys to judge who is the better table flipper. Ooh, yeah. I'd love to hear the results of that. Oh, you can see for yourself and judge. Yes, I think I should be the final judge. I should be the only judge. <laughs> Don't let anybody else judge. <laughs> I mean, you could you could be if you came. <laughs> Don't rub it in. I think we'll be partnered together, Michael. I think you and I work together to flip a table against other paired teams. At least that's how it seemed to be last year. We'll we'll defeat them with the power of friendship. <laughs> <laughs> if if not brotherhood, then friendship. Is this a co-op I, game? I do have a folding table that I can pull out and just start flipping in my backyard as practice. Let's practice. <laughs> Well, we start, as always, with, hey, Michael, what you been playing? Like I said, I've been on vacation. We recorded an episode. We, I went on vacation. I was busy the entire time, hitting the road. I stayed in, I think, seven different hotels and Airbnbs on this time. I was moving, go, 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 the entire time. Brag. It is hard to play games when you're on the road like that. But thankfully, I have this little thing in, in my pocket called a cellular phone. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, because of this last, last podcast, I downloaded Ascension. So I've been playing our triple gold star winning game, Ascension. And do I regret my decision of giving it a gold star? No. Do I still have difficulties understanding how to make combos the best ways after not playing this game for years? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is it easy to play like a 10 minute game or 30 minute game to relax? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I've been playing. We talked about it last episode, so I'm not going to go into about how Ascension is one of the best uh, deck building games with a trade row that actually works with uh, some cool mechanics. So I'm going to pass it back to you, David. What you been playing? Well, I'm glad you passed it back to me and not Jesse. I didn't, I don't know if this was uh, like foresight on your part, but uh, I've also been playing a game on my phone a lot. So I'm going to talk about an app that I recently downloaded. How come neither of you told me that Everdell was an app? Oh, hey, Everdell's an app. I have gone on the record, I think 
in a recent episode as many times as I possibly could, saying that Everdell is my favorite board game. And there's an app version of it from uh, Direwolf Digital. And I have just been playing the mess out of the Everdell app. It is not a free app like Ascension. It is $10, which is a bit pricey for the board game apps, but it's much cheaper than the actual board game itself. So if you don't have anybody to play with, it's a great way to it's a great way to play Everdell. And on top of being, it, uh, I think it's a it's an excellent implementation of the app uh, because it it has Everdell, it has the solo version of Everdell, and then it has challenges that you can play that add twists to the game that you couldn't do in like a normal game of Everdell. So um, things like everybody else seasons up, but you don't season up. You just start with 15 workers, go. It's a really interesting, it's a really interesting implementation. I really like it. Uh, I'm currently trying to 100% the app with all the achievements, which is uh, the last achievement I have is beat all the hard cha- hard mode challenges, and man, are they tough. That sounds awesome. I didn't even know there was an app. I just looked it up. Apparently, it was released in July last year. And it's it's incredible. If 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 you like Everdell, it's it's worth the ten dollars. It's worth the ten dollars. Can you play Everdell? No. Uh, currently, there are no expansions available. Uh, so it is just base Everdell. That being said, I still play just base Everdell all the time. I think I, I was. I don't think anybody from work listens to this, but uh, during some meetings, I was playing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I played like four or five times today. <laughs> Not all meetings. I need to be there, so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was still listening. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jesse, tell us about a real board game. Oh, I was just going to say, I've also been playing an app on my phone. I've been playing Murder by Choice. <laughs> uh, but that's not really a board game. So I will tell you about a board game I played in real life and one that I'm particularly excited about because it's one that I'm going to be teaching at the VIP table at Tantrum Con next month. And that is Oros. Oros is a 2022 game designed by Brant Birk. Brinkenhoff and published by Ash Games. That a- that's A E S C Ash Games. And in this game, you form mountains and build sacred monuments in the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. It is a game where you play as a powerful demigod who can shift rows of land, move and sl- collide land tiles together, form and erupt volcanoes all on a shared map where you are trying to make the map advantageous for your own plans and plots while everyone else is going to move what you want away from you. Uh, It's really hard. It was a lot of fun. I struggled. I took dirty butt last, but I had a great time. It is a game in which you have three actions per turn. You have six action spaces and you have your little followers on some of the action spaces. So it's always really important to plan ahead for your next turn, which action spaces you want to be free coming up. Uh, You can even use the same follower multiple times on turn so you can send them back and forth between action spaces. Like I said, it's a really cool game and I'd love to get it to the table again. It's a fun puzzle, but I felt like I did not even come close to solving it not even anywhere near i liked that the actions are simple to use once you understand them but some of them are tricky to understand at first like the shift action versus the move action takes a little while to get the hang of it i lost really badly and i don't entirely know what i did wrong i think i spread myself a little bit too thin in terms of 
which of my powers I spent my wisdom to advance. And so I think if I were to play again, which I will, I would focus more on things that would give me victory points, knowledge points. Hmm. Okay. Because winning is important. <laughs> That's foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> you said that you're a demigod. Do you know who your god daddy is? Um, your god daddy is the great wise one or something like that. <laughs> oh, some vague nonsense. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fantasy world that is not supposed to be Earth, and you are not supposed to be like a Greek god or anything like that. You can be. I, I was I was the god of the fertile land because it's green. Uh, the powers for players are all identical, but if you play with an uh with an Automa player, they have different levels of aggression. Uh, so if you play against the god of raging fire. He's really, really super aggressive. But we played with all real human players. <laughs> you better not let Josh and Judelin win. Uh, I will try. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Josh and Judelin. <laughs> and now it's time for Game of the Fortnite, the part of the podcast where we hold one game above all others, at least for the next two weeks. And this fortnight, we're talking about Spirit Island, published by Greater Than Games and designed by Eric 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 Roos Eric Roos R Eric Roos R Eric Roos. Okay, so his first name's probably Randy or something. Yeah, probably or Rodney <laughs> or Eric. <laughs> Shout out to episode one. <laughs> Shout out to episode one. <laughs> Spirit Island is a cooperative game where these spirits, where you play as different spirits. Let's see how many times I say spirits. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Are working together to protect your island and the native inhabitants from the destructive colonizers. (laughs) So it is like the ante of most other games that we see in board gaming where you play as a colonizer, you're playing as the anti-colonizer. Each person plays as a different spirit with different turns. During, uh, during the game, it is split into two phases. The spirit phase where you guys can act simultaneously or take turns to use your powers to influence the board, spread your presence around, and fight back against the colonizers. And then the colonizer phase, where they will you know, invade from certain areas, take actions to disrupt the land, and uh, foil your plots. I think this is a pretty well-regarded cooperative game. Oh, yeah, it's, it's in the top 100 for sure. It has... A lot of expansions. Uh, the, the different spirits that you play can have varying levels of complexity and a nice little bit of powers. And one of the things that I like about this is the there's the main board that your that's your island, but then you have the sideboard that shows what the colonizers are going to do. 
and so I can't remember the three specific steps for them, but there's it's like... invade, build, and then ravage. Correct. And so you flip a card over from their deck, and they do that action where the card is, and that card's gonna slide over spot uh, spot to spot from turn to turn. And that basically, it gives you a little bit of information on how to plan, but because you're flipping over from the deck, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. So there's a lot of spontaneity. Mm. So, like you said, this is a cooperative game, and it's a tough cooperative game. Uh, a, a couple of questions that I always have for myself is, when you're playing a cooperative game, is can somebody quarterback? Can somebody take control of the other players? And... Since each spirit is so complex and unique, essentially, it's really impossible for the uh, it's really impossible for one player to take control and tell you how to play. You, nobody's going to be able to there. No one's going to be able to coach you on your turns. That being said, the downside to that is this game has a very steep barrier to entry. I feel it's not a it's not simple. It's not incredibly welcoming. This is one that you have to pay attention to the rules teach before you play. I would agree with that. Each spirit has their own decks of cards with unique powers and a lot of information on each of those cards that as you play them, uh, <laughs> how your deck can transform and how the actions you can take can transform. Uh Def definitely, <laughs> it's be too much information for someone to quarterback. Mm -hmm. I do like how each of the spirit has their own unique flavor. If you look at the back of each spirit board, it kind of tells you what their uh, what their uh, modus operandi is, their mo. It kind of tells you what uh, what the spirit will do, whether it's going to. Uh, be really good at spreading influence across the board, whether it's really good at pushing invaders into the ocean or protecting certain spaces. Uh, and, and then you can build a team of spirits with different powers to have a different game each time. You mentioned that some of the spirits are really complex. I think there are some that are super beginner friendly. And if you stick to the spirits from the base game, I think it's a much more manageable experience for, for new gamers. I really love that the spirits have interesting names like River Surges in Sunlight or Grinning Trickster Stirs Up Trouble. Uh, I definitely chose that one the last time I got to play. Yes, the spirits have the coolest names of all kind, of, of, of all time. And we cannot forget to mention the fear mechanic, which is key. Mm -hmm. Because you're not just a spirit, you're a spooky scary <laughs> <laughs> because the, the way to win changes throughout the game at first you have to remove every single invader from the board which is people impossible. towns and cities yeah it's also impossible but as you add fear into their hearts you have to remove less and less from the board like oh now you only have to remove all the towns and cities well now all you have to do is remove all the cities uh, because people are too scared they're gonna they're gonna leave your island alone which is which is the overall goal um, one, one nice touch about this game that was noted in the, um, the shut up and sit down review of spirit Island. Cause they actually reviewed it quite recently. And by that, I mean, within the last six months, they talk about how 
the component choice in this game is very purposeful. If you look at all of these spirit pieces and the native Dahan pieces on the board, they're all wooden. But all of the invading colonizers and the blight that happens to this island, it's all plastic. And it's just a, it's just a nice touch when a company thinks about something like that. And it's, it's something that you may not notice without, without somebody pointing it out to you. So I was, I was glad they pointed it out in the review. Something I really like about the game, too, is that the cards you play have fast powers or slow powers. And I think that's a really interesting mechanic in deciding if you want to play a card that's got a fast power or if you want to play a card that's got a slow power. Uh, so the fast powers can take effect quickly and the slow powers tend to be really, really incredible. I think the fast and slow powers is is the heart of the game. So what what determines them is during the spirit phase, like Michael mentioned, you play all of your spirit cards that you want for the round. However, they don't necessarily activate. You just pay for them. All of the fast powers activate before the invaders go. Then all the invaders go. And then any slow powers activate. So those take a little bit more planning and more more thought and positioning. But they can be incredibly powerful. And, it, and it's that, that puzzle of working through, do I play this fast card or do I wait and play this slow card? That, that's where the magic of the game comes through, I feel. I'll also say that there's a really great implementation of this on Tabletop Simulator for anybody who plays online. It's a nice scripted game. That's where I first got a chance to play right near the start of the pandemic. Uh, my games on Tabletop Sim, I won, and my games in real life, I have lost. Oh no! <laughs> but also on Tabletop Sim, we played just two players, and in real life, I played with four players, and I think that can also make a big difference in a game like this. That is that is the downside of the of the game because it does recommend. I think BGG says best with three. Uh, the rule book says one to four players, but even in the rule book, it's like, hey, when you're playing with one player, you don't have enough variety and powers to try and stop everything. I mean, go nuts, try it out if you can. But the spirits were really meant to be played together, so. It, it, it really wants to be three or four players in this game. So I, kind of one to two is kind of a lie on the box. It was still, I, I played the solo to learn it, which is a, a good benefit of co-op games. They're easy to play solo. And, and it was still fun. It was still fun. All right. That, that might inform uh, my experience to me. So I just checked it and BGG says that most people recommend it at two. Really? Most people recommend this game at two. And I have only played this game at four player. And to show my hand a little bit, I, Michael DeVos, was not going to give this game the board game famous Gold Star Award. But now that I know that information, that it's maybe a better experience with a lower player count, and I've only played it at four players, that maybe is something I would reconsider at... uh, at two, but at a four-player count, I, I can't give it the star. I mean, we could just go ahead and jump in into giving it the star. Giving it the star or not. David, do you give it the Board Game Famous Gold Star Award? What a, what a dramatic pause. <laughs> <laughs> that will probably get cut out. <laughs> or, or made extra long. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, no, I, I don't. I don't give Spirit Island the board game famous gold star. Uh, I I know it's really highly regarded, and I have really enjoyed my plays of of this game, but that high barrier to entry just it really stops me from playing because I, as the teacher of games, I find it very difficult to bring this out for new players because I have to play this, I have to watch what I'm doing, and then I have to watch what everybody else is doing, and I have to know what their spirit does. It's just, it's one of those games that's that really sings when everybody knows what they're doing. But if if multiple people don't enjoy it, it's not... It's not as welcoming as it could be. It it it, re- it really sings when everybody knows what they're doing, but it's not a long game. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not like a super long complex game. It's a super complex short game. Uh, I think I think the most most damning evidence that this shouldn't receive the board game famous gold star because it it's not welcoming enough is the fact that there is a simpler version of this called horizons of spirit island available at target now something i noticed strange about that version is it only plays up to three players so maybe maybe two is the ideal player count that you want for sure jesse what about you I was actually going to bring up the Horizons game. I have not played that version, but I wanted to compare that to Gloomhaven and Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, which Jaws of the Lion is quite a good game and very accessible. And I would recommend to anybody who is a little intimidated by Gloomhaven to try Jaws of the Lion. So if you're intimidated by Spirit Island, I would say go ahead and pick up Horizons of Spirit Island because it is like $30 at Target, which is a very nice price point for getting into a game of this nature. It feels like it makes it more welcoming and more like a gateway game for newer gamers um, or people who don't have a dedicated focused gaming group as much. I was thinking really carefully about whether I was going to award the gold star to this game, and I was trying to think about what other cooperative games I like more or would rather play than this. And I was really hard-pressed to find any other co-op games that I think I would enjoy playing more than Spirit Island. And therefore, I am going to award the gold star to Spirit Island, even though when I first started thinking about it, I was like, I don't really like that, but I think that's just my bias against co-op games. (laughs) <laughs> oh do you you don't like co-op games i didn't know that as a broad general statement i don't enjoy co-op games as much as most other games okay i just want to go on record that saying that flashpoint is the best co-op game that's that's fine i mean i, I don't i don't hate that choice i don't hate that opinion <laughs> I'm just, I, was, I was just trying to throw out some controversy i don't actually think that <laughs> <laughs> as long as you don't let the cats and dogs burn Dims the rules. <laughs> I want to know if you would if you were to rate it out of ten, what would you rate it? Me? Yeah. I don't rate, Everybody. I don't, I don't rate things out of ten. Gut feeling. Go. <laughs> uh, gut feeling. I don't know. Six. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Jesse. Seven point seven. Wow, that's that's precise. Because I was gonna do a point five. I was gonna do six point five. <laughs> <laughs> I know I could do six point. I'm gonna do six point five six. <laughs> For reference, this this has an eight point four on Board Game Geek and is very high in the top one hundred. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
controversy. <laughs> well, that's the thing about board game geek ratings is we don't necessarily agree with them because we all have games we personally enjoy and personally enjoy less. It's true. And if you disagree with us, write us an email at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> or join our Discord. Link below. <laughs> All right, you're doing the whole spiel. Wait, is this the end? <laughs> no, we gotta talk about we gotta talk about the last the last section. There's two more sections. <laughs> wow. Uh, Nate Nate sent us a question that I thought was pretty good. But the next section is The next section is Brother Talk. Brother Talk and Jesse Talk. <laughs> and this fortnight, we're talking about what is your goal when you play games? Do you play to win? Or do you play to have fun? I wanted to say play to lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I brought this I brought this topic up because I was watching a I was watching a Dice Tower top ten video. And it was the top 10 games that they've cooled on. And one of the members of Dice Tower said that they've cooled on Calico. And I was like, how could you cool on Calico? It's an amazing game. And he talked about how he played with people who hate drafted. Which is when you don't necessarily need a game piece, but you take it so other, people's, other people playing can't have it. And I realized that hate drafting is a is a thing you need to do if you're playing to win. And I don't, I don't play with people who hate draft and I can see why people like Cascadia more than Calico because Calico has the option to hate draft all the time. It comes up so much. You get into positions in that game where you need a very specific piece and it would be so easy for me to take it from you, but I don't do that. I don't, I don't play to win in Calico because I would be robbing you of fun. The reason we're playing a game is fun. Why would I steal that from you? I think that's a uh, a game des design thing because you're talking about uh, this. And I've heard one of the main complaints about werewolf-like games is the most optimal strategy is to be a dick. <laughs> there are good games out there where the most optimal strategy is not being a dick. <laughs> so maybe, that's, maybe that's a game design thing. But but to play to win those games, you have to do mean things. And and it, and it's not it's not always hate drafting that I don't like. Um I've actually so a while ago I talked about playing the Dominion app. I don't know if I want to play the Dominion app much more because I realize that the way I play Dominion is not to win. I like to build a nice, long, fun engine. But the way to win is to buy victory points. And once you buy a certain amount of victory points, like if you buy out all the provinces, the game is over. And I don't do that. I don't want the game to be over. I want to have fun. So when I play against the AI all the time, it ends the game before I start having fun. And I'm just like, do I... Do I not like Dominion that much anymore? Cuz I'm not I'm not playing to win. I'm playing to have fun. I think playing to win and playing to have fun is on a spectrum. Dramatic pause. <laughs> I was burping. <laughs> <laughs> there are those people 
who, for them, winning is fun. Or winning is everything. <laughs> Jesse's pointing at himself. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one who records all the scores at the end of the game. I couldn't tell you the scores for the last couple of games that I've played. <laughs> but, to that point, I want to play well. I want to play well. I want to feel challenged. I want to I want to do cool things that make me go, ooh, oh, <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun for me. And if those series of actions lead me to victory, hell yeah. <laughs> In our gaming group, I'm not the best. I'm good. I'm not the best. Shout out to Davis. Shout out to Davis, the best player in our board gaming group. <laughs> Just understands board gaming mechanics. <laughs> I think that's a combination of he just gets how mechanics click. He just understands how stuff works together better than us. And so whenever I sit at the table, knowing that I'm probably not going to win, I got to figure out why I'm going to be sitting there for the next three hours. <laughs> and, and that's to play well. I played Twilight Imperium, fourth edition. One experience, I got, what, like two victory points by the end of the game? <laughs> Three victory points by the end of the game? Yes. Something like that. It was not a lot. Did I have fun spending nine hours around the table doing that? Yes. Because the mechanics were good. Uh, <laughs> I did win another time. <laughs> no, I want, I want to play well. I want, I want to play well. Jess, Jesse, what are your thoughts as the person who's been nodding about, about how winning is so important? So I have a lot of thoughts, actually. I agree a lot with what Michael said. For me, I was thinking of comparing board gaming to my other main hobby, which is running. I am not a fast runner. I do like a... 11 or 12 minute mile and if i'm in better shape than i am right now it might be like a nine or ten minute on a good week but for me playing is like running i want to do my personal best i get mad and sulky at myself not at others when i'm doing poorly and i do it because it feels good it's good for me i don't expect to win a race ever i don't expect to win a board game sitting down at the table but i do like winning when i get the chance and David, this is why you and I have never played a game together, because I would be upset if you did not hate draft something from me, because that means you don't view me as a threat. And I am threatening. I am a dangerous <laughs> monster of a player. <laughs> you need to take that piece I need or you will lose, you fool. Are you scared, David? Are you scared now? I'm terrified. I'm terrified. <laughs> As you should be. But like the last the last game I played that makes me think of this. I played Azul Winter Garden or the Queen's Garden. The Queen's Garden, right? Yes, something like and that, yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. It was a nice game. The components were great. And there was like this one piece I was just waiting for, waiting for, waiting for. And of course, someone else drafted it as soon as it came out. And I knew they would. And they should have. If they didn't, they would be making a foolish mistake. It just feels so grimy oh just i can't do it it's not because i don't it's not because i don't want to win i feel like it's one of those 
uh, I feel like a British soldier during the Revolutionary War, you know? I'm like, why are all these scallywags fighting in the forest and not meeting us out in the field honorably? Look, man. How's, how's my British accent? <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're hate drafting, it's at the expense of something else. So it's like conscious choice if you are taking something you don't need over something you need. And usually that's not worth doing if it's preventing you from getting something you need but given the choice of two things i don't need i'm gonna take the one someone else at the table wants oh gosh i can't do that because the whole point to play a game is to have fun and i can't deprive you if i don't get fun from depriving you of fun destroying my friends is how i have fun I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Ellen would hate you if you hate drafted in Calico. <laughs> oh my god, I would never get to play games again. <laughs> no, to, to be fair, so bringing up the Calico argument again, there have been times where Ellen's like, I need yellow polka dot. If you take yellow polka dot, I will stab you. And I will say something like, I need yellow. And I'm going to take the first available yellow. <laughs> Maybe this is why I'm not married. I'm not good at compromise. <laughs> 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 wow. No, no. There. Now, in 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 my thoughts before uh, this recording, I I did I did want to talk briefly about the flip side of that. Uh, there needs to be some drive to win. You can't not try at all when you're playing against somebody who's just taking turns randomly. So you can't predict what a player is going to do. That can make a game fragile uh, because board or, games. Or you're just playing. A- or are you just playing a board game like Candyland, where the winner's already determined? No, that doesn't that doesn't count. <laughs> that doesn't count. At this that's, that's not that's not <laughs> applicable at all. Yeah, you, you need you need to have mechanics that you can engage with. Yeah, this is more. I'm talking more about a, like player driven thing. That's not that's not what I'm about. <laughs> all right, continue. <laughs> yeah. So, so if so if a person's just taking turn actions randomly, not really trying to win. Games can fall apart at that point, and they can be fragile. Or uh, the dreaded, the dreaded sweetheart scenario is, I think, what I called it, uh, where somebody doesn't want somebody's trying to help their significant other to win in a game. So uh, they're basically everything that they do is helping their significant other. Uh, so it's it's essentially like you're playing against somebody who gets twice as many turns as you. That's not fun because that one of the players isn't playing to win. So there needs to be a little bit of drive there. So I don't, I don't like try and lose. There are just certain things that I just, I won't do. I can't do it. But it, it was nice to learn why I like Calico. And I was like, oh yeah, this is probably why people don't like Calico. Because other people are evil and hate draft. <laughs> Looking at you, Jesse. <laughs> uh, that is how you play the game. I mean, it's not against the rules, if that's what you mean. (laughs) Any other thoughts on playing to win? I mean, when I was younger, I used to feel like winning was the only reason to play. Like, I really did. Like, I wouldn't go to the point where I would cheat or something like that, because then you didn't really win and the win doesn't feel worth it. But, like, I used to feel if I wasn't winning, why did I play at all? I think as I've gotten a little older, I've come to appreciate that the journey is more important than the destination. But it still feels bad to lose a co-op game. <laughs> Which is why I think I don't like them as much. <laughs> That's why you cheat like crazy during co-op games. 
no no like i just it feels really bad when you're like so close and you're like oh what could we have done better as a team i feel like there's a topic for a different time though probably so sure enough <laughs> now without musical accompaniment it's mail time it's mail time (laughs) (laughs) and today's question comes from nate the brother wait i have a brother named nate yes (laughs) where did that happen (laughs) so uh what's nate's question today what games have good lore Ooh. are you guys gonna do the the, are you guys are you guys gonna do the cheating answers? So I'm I don't know be, what that means. I'm gonna be clear that there's two kinds of lore that I'm thinking about. There are the lore, the story that unfolds. All right, you got a joke answer, and I can see it in your face. Oh, it's the cheating answer, not a joke answer, because there's Lord of the Rings, the board game, second edition. I was gonna say like anything with an IP. Dune, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. okay. No, Not- those don't count. Those board, don't count. Let's just shove game, those out. Board game, ori- board game original. Board game original. All right. So we got the games that have the story that you interact with it as it goes on, like either so- uh, solo or, gosh, what, uh, like or a legacy game, or you have a game where you play it and there's exists lore in the background that you don't necessarily interact with, but does exist and does inform why uh, the mechanics work the way that they do. So my answer for that latter one, a game that you don't necessarily need to know the lore, you don't necessarily interact with it when you're playing, is Root. Root has a fantastic lore. The background informs why each faction works the way that they do and how they interact in the world. You have the Cat Empire. That's why that they are spread out everywhere. You have the uh, the birds who uh, used to be a big power in the forest but are now a small force. And so they have these radical leaders trying to push for more and more aggressive expansion. You have a bunch of religious zealot li- lizards trying to make sacrifices. <laughs> You have a crusading army. <laughs> <laughs> you just have all these different factions that have war on how they interact in the world and why their mechanics work the, the way that they do. And for a legacy game, I would say the favorite story within it still got to be Clank. Still, still got to be Clank. Uh, not uh, sorry, Clank Legacy, whatever that is. Acquisitions Incorporated. Acquisitions Incorporated. Which is an IP. Oh, crap. I always forget that Acquisitions Incorporated is a D&D thing. I think so. If not, yeah. it's Penny Arcade. Or both. All right, well, then I, I renege that answer. Jesse, what about you? I was thinking that a game that has really great lore is Aeon's End. Aeon's End is a cooperative deck building game in which you play as a breach mage who is fighting against evil monsters that are invading your home and the lore behind each of the characters is interesting the lore behind the city of gravehold is interesting and how these breaches came to be i think with each new version and expansion of the game they've added to the lore behind 
everything that is happening in the world. And I think the lore is done really beautifully in a way that makes the game more enjoyable and serves to enhance your gameplay. But you can play the game just based on its mechanics without the lore. Uh, David, what about you? What game has the best lore for you? I've got I've got two answers. One is uh, TI4, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition's got really good lore. Uh, so much so that it actually comes with a lore book in in the box. It's like, hey, this is why the factions are fighting. Read this. It has nothing to do with the rules, but it's it's just interesting. The, the, the designers and the people who created this world took the time to sit down and write this, uh, this informational story for you, essentially. And on top of that, every character that you can play as, every alien species, has information about that species. A little bit of history, a little bit of facts about their, their motives and why they're fighting for the control of the galaxy. I really like that. It's a nice touch on top of a game that you don't really need to know, but it's, it's fun to read. I think I've read all of them, if not most of it. And then the other answer isn't a single game, but it's a series of games because Ryan Lockett does a lot of story-driven games and he has created his own world called called the Arzium Universe. A-R-Z-I-U-M. And his Above and Below trilogy takes place in the Ar- in the Arzium Universe. I believe a couple of his other games, like Islebound and something else, uh, maybe Rome, might take place in this in this universe. So you're meeting you're meeting the same species over and over again. You're meeting the same same types of creatures over and over again. And it's just a it's a beautifully built world that he's created that he could put another game out and go, I know I know what this is because I know the lore behind it already. I've played his other games. I know what this is gonna do. And that was just an that's just a nice experience. You know, I only ever played Above and Below one time, and I'd really like to get into it a little bit more. It seemed like a really fun game. It's it's really fun. It's not really fair. David knows all the rules. He knows all the secrets. Yes, I do. I've played Above and Below so many times. Oh, man, it's so much fun. He's not allowed to make decisions in that game. <laughs> it's like playing one of those um, choose-your-own-adventure books. Uh, go left. If you go left, go to page 82. If you go right, go to page 163. <laughs> but David knows that you're supposed to go to page 163 because that's where the treasure chest room is and you'll get the dagger of blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so kind of like time stories. Once you've played through an adventure, you already know. So you can play through with other people and let them make the choices. Mm-hmm. Less thematic, but yes. So another fortnight has come and gone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to reach out to us, you can reach us at e- by email at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Or you can join our Discord using the link below. Or you can look at all the pictures we've posted on our Instagram, which has been a few months since we put a picture on there. <laughs> also using the link below. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye, y'all. I say um a lot. Sorry. <laughs> I cut it out. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> David said he learned the pattern of my ums. <laughs>